Hi, it's Sweets from Your Voice First podcast, and today we're looking at an essay from the book Ubiquitous Voice, Essays from the Field. The specific essay we're looking at is Adding Voice Interaction to Hardware from Leon Grebler. The opportunity. While many device makers are currently looking to add voice, there's only a small minority actually making the leap to adding this feature to their products. Those who are early are likely to build a following and gain support of the major players in the space. It's also possible that they'll become the leaders in an emerging category of products. At the very least, those companies that have thought about adding voice control would put themselves at an advantage to begin to develop proofs of concepts and prototypes of their products that include voice. It's not surprising that many device makers are looking at their competitors that are engaged in voice interaction, and they're evaluating whether they too should pursue the path of voice integration. When looking at their options, there are several factors that they need to take into account when making their decision. Some items that they need to consider are, one, what type of interaction do they want their users to have with their devices? Two, what are the bill of materials, otherwise called BOM, considerations? Three, what services and brand experiences are they considering? And four, what expandability do they want to implement for future enhancements? There are four types of devices, and the biggest influencer on the type of voice interaction that needs to be built into a device is the device type. The first device, utility devices. These are typically meant to perform some type of action. Laundry machines, dishwashers, toasters, microwaves, vacuum cleaners. On a personal and home use basis, the argument for adding voice is to speed interaction with a voice device. It makes it easier so that the device can reach a larger market. For professional applications, the argument needs to also encompass an ROI measurement. Can using voice increase worker efficiency? Music players and televisions. Considerations for adding voice to these devices are whether doing so enhances the enjoyment and pleasure of the end user, differentiates the product, or potentially creates an additional stream of revenue for the manufacturer or brand. Number three, office devices. Office devices are projectors, landlines, photocopiers, and other utility devices for conducting business. Brands and manufacturers of these devices will likely need to look at whether offering voice control with these products provides a time-saving advantage or reduces distractions. The argument needs to be made that this feature will increase office productivity. The finally, number four, computing devices. Mobile devices and computers such as desktops, laptops, tablets, and hybrids already have extensive integration with voice interaction services. It's likely that in the next few years, more voice services will be available on computers and mobile devices will gain far field voice capabilities, similar to what we've already seen built in on the Google Pixel and Android phones, and may come soon on iOS, well, iOS has Siri, but having actual far field voice control and not close voice control. From the four types of devices, utility, entertainment, office, and computing, Computing devices already have the largest adoption, followed probably by utility devices such as lights, microwaves, fridges. Office devices are the one, the office I think has been the hardest to penetrate in terms of voice adoption so far.
there are four types of device interactions for hardware manufacturers. Push-to-talk, command-based, free-form, prompting the user, and remote voice interaction. First, push-to-talk. This is like the Amazon Echo Tap, where the device is woken up by the user performing a physical action and then speaking to the device, either during the physical action or immediately afterwards. The second is command-based. This is what most people are familiar with, with OK Google and saying the Alexa. For command interactions, the device is constantly listening for a specific command for the user and is continuously polling the microphone signal for this command. A hybrid type of the interaction is a primary weak word followed by a secondary command. The third type is freeform. This is preceded by a wake word following which the user can speak a natural language. This is actually what most people are familiar with with Amazon and Google devices where you say the wake word and then you use free natural language as they call it. Number four, user is prompted for a response. This is already built into most third-party skills and also natively into some of the functionality of Alexa and Google where the microphone is reopened for a response from the user. Proactively, this is also done um, via some of the more advanced devices where recognizing a user has walked into a room, a device can proactively ask the user a question. The fifth type is remote voice interaction, where the user interacts with the device through an app on a computing device. I wish I could give some examples, but I don't think any exist for remote voice interaction, and if they do, I'm not aware of what that looks like. So if you have an idea, send us a voice note, tag us on Instagram or Twitter, and let us know. consideration. Again, BOM, which stands for Bill of Material. This is going to be uh, fairly heavy depending on the type of voice interaction you want, and for others, fairly light to non-existent. The effect of the type of voice interaction on BOM requirement is considerable. For example, assuming that a device is already internet connected, adding voice interaction through a remote device such as through an app or phone has no impact on BOM cost. This is an easier first step to implement voice interaction and can be rolled out to legacy Wi-Fi connected products that have already been shipped to consumers. Applications could be playing music, turning the device on and off, controlling volume, among other actuations. For devices that are command-based only, including push-to-talk followed by commands, the requirement for voice interactions can be fairly light. Again, light. It does not cost a lot for command type and push-to-talk. There will need to be some type of processor, whether the microcontroller or application processor, that will be able to run the phrase word spotting or speech triggering software. This is saying, like most people are already aware, the highest cost in terms of energy and bill of material is constantly scanning the environment for the wake word, the, the speech triggering. Typically, software for phrases spotting can be designed to be so lightweight that it can run alongside existing applications on the same processor. Next. The amount of memory and processing required to run the software is proportional to the number of trigger words and commands as well as how specialized is the application. A lot of people ask me, Pat, why can I only say Alexa, Echo, and Computer? How come I can't add in more trigger words? Well, let's go back to this quote. 
the amount of memory and processing required to run the software is proportional to the number of trigger words and commands as well as how specialized is the application. If we want to add on more trigger words, that's going to require a lot more processing and memory because you have to constantly be scanning for that wake word all of the time. So Amazon is actually saving and reducing, making their Alexa and Echo service more efficient by reducing the number of trigger words. Let's go back to the next section. For command-based devices, there's a need for at least one microphone to be embedded on the device. Likewise, if there's any acknowledgement of the command, there might be requirements for LEDs or a speaker to play out a sound file, recorded speech, or a text-to-speech file. Depending on how well the command words are trained in the number of commands, it's possible to get a high success rate even at far field distances, two meters or more, from a device. For devices that use push-to-talk or have wake-up words but are designed to be used in close-up proximity to a speaker followed by natural language command, it is possible to use a single microphone without any or with very little audio processing. If the device, such as a voice interactive handset or a speaker with a push-to-talk button, are being used at less than an arm's length from the user, the signal-to-noise ratio may be likely um, sufficiently high to allow for the automatic speech recognition, aka ASR, API to pick up and properly interpret the user's voice commands most of the time. As soon as the device's planned usage goes beyond arm's length for the speaker and the interaction goes from command to natural language, the hardware needs to condition the audio before sending it to the ASR API. Again, ASR stands for Automatic Speech Recognition. This means the implementation of some types of digital signal processing algorithm and likely the addition of at least one more microphone. The reason for the additional microphone or microphones is to be able to interpret or to be able to implement algorithms such as blind source separation or beam forming. This was definitely the most technical section of this episode. Depending on the profile of the environment in which the device will be placed, whether it's a kitchen, conference room, or next to the TV, hardware makers may need to increase the number of microphones from two up to seven. Seven is the same number that the Amazon Echo devices have, at least in the Echo Dot and the standalone Echo. This is to compensate the number of mics is to compensate for reverberation or loud noises that can affect the quality of ASR results. Service and brand experience. The voice that's speaking to the user from the device acts like the brand's mascot. The qualities of the interaction are reflected directly on those brands. If the answers are incorrect from a device, or the user has issues on being understood, those qualities will be directly associated with the device. As an example, one could argue that Siri's initial release has a negative impact on Apple's brand. I'd agree, especially into now, as Alexa and Google have gotten better, Siri still sucks, and that has a negative impact on Apple's brand, as these companies are proving it's possible. Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Samsung are all proving it's possible to do natural language processing on mobile hardware. Siri still is not doing well, and it's not innovating, and that has a negative impact. Voice represents the brand. And if you don't update your voice interaction or you leave it on a special hardware that's no good, it's going to affect you negatively. So when you're considering hardware, inter, uh, hardware integration, consider do you want to use your own voice service where you will need to make sure that your understanding and responses are high? 
Because if a consumer asks a question and your, you, your voice service either gives the wrong answer or doesn't know how to respond, that's going to be reflected onto your brand. The alternative is adopting an existing voice service such as Alexa voice service or Google's voice service or Microsoft's or Bixby's or any of the other players out there. The upside with those is you get much higher quality of technology so you know that Amazon and Google are going to work well depending on their However, the downside is your customization is going to be more limited. You will not be able to customize it as much and you're going to be up to kind of the platform to determine the kind of understanding that you have and the domains of understanding that you're given and understanding on your hardware. Expandability and future-proofing. Technology in the voice arena is changing rapidly. There are major announcements about new voice technologies nearly every month. This has caused some device makers to be hesitant in moving forward with adding voice control, hoping that the market will settle down on a particular solution. The downside of that strategy is missing out on adding innovative and differentiating features to products and potentially giving up market share to competitors who are willing to take on the risk. One way to offset the risk is to build in expandability to the product. Where there are pressures to use only the bare minimum processors and memory to gain functionality, it's actually better for device makers to build in some room as well as infrastructure to update the device with newer software as it's made available. I worked at Amazon in the AWS IoT team on an operating system called FreeRTOS, a free um, real-time operating system. The companies that I was working with for microcontrollers and microprocessors, they were trying to give the bare bones for a lot of stuff, while others were working on building an extra room for the newest and greatest sensor or the newest and greatest connectivity or protocol. So you as an adopter and builder and maker of hardware solutions have to decide, do you want to go with the bare bones and to build the minimum viable product for what you have, or do you want a future-proof and build in just a little bit of extra room so that you can get over-the-air updates, you can add in voice functionality, you can add in a new feature without having to do a recall or a brand new version of your product. Because like Apple, how frustrating is it when you have to buy the newest version of the iPhone just to get one small feature? Wouldn't it be better if you were like a Tesla, where by buying this hardware, even though we're not allowed to drive with the autonomous driving yet, Tesla's already built it in, so as soon as legislature allows us to, we can use these new capabilities of the brand new technology without having to upgrade our hardware. It's renewable, it's future-proofed, and it's sustainable for the long term of our environment and for our financial resources. Just take it into consideration. <laughs>